Welcome back, <clears throat> Tanner and Harry. Thank you. Hi, Joseph. Your pleasure to be here. <laughs> Great to see yeah. Tanner as well. You it's too, the kind Harry. Of thing, yeah, you sort of see Instagram posts and stuff and YouTube video. I mean, Tanner's got a great YouTube channel I've been enjoying, but, you know, it's just lovely to talk face-to-face. -face. That's right. Yeah, we were just, just chatting a minute ago how how we feel like we all know each other. You know, I, I in my formative years, uh, well, they're still formative years, but you've taught me a lot on YouTube, whether you have known it or not. So it's been really fun now, now to see you face-to-face. <laughs> yeah, -face. yeah, exactly. And it's weird, isn't it, all these time zones? Yeah. It's under civilized of lunchtime for me. You know, I had an early lunch, but it's quite civilized. As Tanner, I know you're, <laughs> you're being very good here and being up at the crack of dawn. Yeah, and, waking up with the birds. It's good. <laughs> and then I'll be going to sleep. <laughs> yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Um, yeah, this is the first ever podcast with two other people. So, And I've written down no questions, so it's going to be wherever... I know we have some viewer questions as well, which we can probably cover if we run out. Actually, I got I got a question to kick this off to break the ice. So, have either of you ever used kangaroo leather before? No, no. I'm quite no. envious of you in some ways because I don't know anything really about it, but I've heard it's very strong. Because yeah. I have a friend who makes um, like whips, yeah. and he always plants it and says how lovely and strong it is. Yeah, it well. As you saw, I made that watch drop out of it. But yeah, it has like a yeah, it's really strong. Like the because uh, you do you know you got this leather that stretches. Like you have the side that stretches and the one that you know. It's just it's just really strong stuff. Like I've I've skived calf down before, and it just tears. In like it just it tears like paper, but kangaroo it just yeah it's a it's a very fascinating material. But the only thing is it does it doesn't look the most luxurious. And why is that? Is it like a lot just, of insect bites and stuff? Or? Yeah, I think it depends where you get it from. I like I know a a place where you can get it from where it's just A grade quality um kangaroo, like really good just the surface is quite consistent. But then other ones you'll get um you know, be have wrinkles and that sort of stuff in it. But I noticed that ostrich is sort of similar to that. Like ostrich has some wrinkles through it. So but yeah, there you go. And how how thick is the kangaroo? Is it? Uh, like... you can one one mil one point one mil to like one point one. Okay. You can, you can go down to like you can go down to point five mil. I saw. Um, yeah, I'm thinking of getting some point five mil because then you don't have to skive it. It's just like that's the one. It's yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, Martin <laughs> Carswell. He he did a really good. <laughs> he makes kangaroo look nice like it's really good so i don't think he could make any i think he could make a trash bag into a nice wallet you know he's yes like, <laughs> he makes everything look nice he's, he's a talented fellow yeah but it's yeah, cheap it's, though that's a good thing like it's actually really cheap leather to get in australia mm -hmm. so i know like overseas is quite expensive but i assume if you bought it from australia it'd be cheap yeah. I knew it was the best for soccer cleats. You know, that, that yeah. was the, well, yeah, I, the best leather to get. I heard that it's, um, do you know the hawks, where they put the things on the hawks' eyes? Oh, yes. That's made is out of kangaroo. Is that the Jesse or something? The little, yeah. Yeah. I've yeah. mixing up terms here. Yeah. yeah I heard that's kangaroo. <laughs> yeah. Oh. 
Well, there you are. You have a unique sort of product there. You could be producing all these nice covers for hawks. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Do you have hawks in Australia? Yeah, we um, we have the what's it called? It's like a huge hawk. I was talking to uh, the New South Wales Police have it on there. What is it? Australian hawk. Mm. Wedgetail eagle, I think it is. Okay, um, cool. It's, like it's a big one. Huh? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so that's kangaroo. Yeah, cool. Good stuff. Yeah, nice. I mean, that's a lovely thing, isn't it, about levercraft? Because you get all these like regional differences. Mm. And, you know, all the sort of different levers you get around the world, they all have their pluses and minuses to them. But it's it's great, I think, when you can work with something which perhaps hasn't travelled hundreds of miles mm. and is on your doorstep. It's it's quite nice. Yeah, and all yeah, levers nice in different ways. <laughs> but I've I've noticed that something can seem exotic, and you, you you see pictures of it forever, and then you finally get it in the mail, and it's you know it's so yes. it's okay, but it's maybe not a whole lot neater than <laughs> what you could you could buy in your country, but. It's yeah. neat to see things from around the world, but uh, it's all leather, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> I know, that's what fascinates me, because, like, a lot of tanneries, like, historically have been very local. Um, and you see those tanneries, especially England and America, that they're just still going, like, those large mm. tanneries. It's, how do they survive that, um, that where all the other businesses were closing, like all the other tanneries were closing down, but they managed just to sail through it. Oh, I yeah, know I mean, one hasn't. Oh, uh, there's just the one in uh, in the U.S. They had to close their their tannery that they've had forever, and then just moved it down to Mexico lately, yeah. <clears throat> so they could just keep their business afloat. But um, yeah, so that was sad to see all those jobs lost in in the u.s anyway but um and then they kind of joined forces with an existing tannery in mexico but so i think it's not easy from what i've heard for them to stay afloat they're having to find i mean they, of course they have lots of industries much bigger than our leather our, our small goods industries mm-hmm. but um and I, I understand that the um actually just trading the skins is a big industry for the tanneries themselves more well mm-hmm. they, at least as much as you know selling the finished ones i think just in trading the 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 skins themselves i think is a big industry as far as i know but Mm. so they kind of make make their business in different ways than we might imagine too i don't know but what do you know harry i think it's probably a similar thing tano it's in in the uk it's i mean when i think about it there are lots of like even local roads which are things like tannery clothes or you know, you get all these like street names that have the leather industry in them from history. Mm. But I mean, there are no tanneries around, you know, the few and far between kind of thing. So I guess a lot of the little ones have closed off. There's still some mm. big players, but I don't think it's easy for them. It's my impression, yeah. but I might be wrong. I'm not, you know, <laughs> in the trade per se, but that's my impression. Yeah. Yeah, there aren't many. I think it's like yeah. you said, it's hard hard for, hard to make a go at it for the smaller ones and even for the bigger ones. It's they're having having to find creative new ways to make it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that there was like a tannery nearby. Um 
nearby that used to exist and that doesn't exist anymore but that was i think my dad was talking about it so it would have not been that long ago that it was opened mm-hmm. yeah. it's not like the 1800s it's only yeah it's um i was actually see like i saw this i think it was this video or um some somewhere was saying that only it was talking about vegetable tan leather that only 10 percent or something like that of leather goods is vegetable tan leather and that sort of blows my mind because like what are they using like there's all these the le- the leather industry is such a huge industry it's not like a i don't know um yeah I, like how can there be such little section of vegetable tan in such a huge industry i guess <laughs> they're not working in this industry but i think you know chrome tan obviously for cars oh yeah boats bags and so on mm-hmm. and i guess it's obviously very quick to tan and it's relatively cheap per square foot and you can put it on an industrial sort of scale so i i'm guessing that's a lot of it yeah and obviously the, the veg tan is quite pricey sort of by comparison mm-hmm. and perhaps if you're into mass manufacturing it's perhaps a bit irregular and you hit problems maybe i don't know yeah, <laughs> yeah i, think I love veg tan myself but <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, okay. I think the t- the time that it goes that, that goes into the tanning process is so much shorter, you know. Yeah. D- yeah. Days versus weeks or months, and yeah, and mm. it just allows them to get so much higher volume through. I think probably is yeah. a big part of it, and and it, I think it can have characteristics that are hold up to weather better and things like that. Maybe yeah. just innately. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good point. Yeah, more far resistant and more able to take multiple bends and all that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That um, that that roll bags has had, uh, that roll bag that you did, has done really really well. Um, I haven't done it yet because it's, <laughs> it's a yeah. lot of it's like I need a lot of big piece of leather to do it. It's a lot of leather and it's a lot of hand stitching if you're if you're not on a machine. But yeah, it's been it's my first. It's been so fun because it's my first pattern that I've set out I mean, into the world and. It, it's so rewarding to start to see, you know, I feel like I'm, I don't know if they're like uh, grandchildren or, <laughs> you know, these little, you know, things that I feel kind of attached to now being born out in the world. It's yeah. pretty, pretty fun. So, yeah, I love it. I mean, your response has been fantastic, hasn't it? Did you say it was yeah. like a thousand downloads of your pattern or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Blown yeah away. I, mean, so I, I can't wait to see what is coming and I, no. I hope to... Uh, do a lot more of that the pattern making it's all kind of new to me but i really see that that's where um i i think there's a huge value in teaching how to make patterns teaching people you know i, I kind of where i sit now is hopefully to help people further their own craft but um and teaching people how to make their own patterns is valuable but i understand also that there's value in working through someone else's pattern so if I can provide a pattern that gives somebody some confidence to tackle the project, I yeah. think that's that's good. I think sometimes we all need a little bit of a sort of like, I mean, to say hand-holding is probably the wrong word, but a little bit of a sort of initial crutch to have the confidence to try something and having a pattern, it's a great way. I know when I was 
trying to make a wallet, you know, my first wallet. I got mm. a couple of patterns and started playing with them. And it was just a helpful sort of like entry. And so hopefully your bag will encourage quite a few people to, you know, try a few more. <clears throat> try yeah. That's the thing is good. <laughs> yeah, when I see you um, doing your shoes, for example, that's something that I, there's always, yes. I, I heard you on your last podcast talking about that, but um, you think, oh, I could never do that. And then you say, well, Harry's doing it for the first time, so <laughs> I think I should yes. attempt it. It's nice to see somebody kind of break it down just, bef- you know, they may not have been doing it forever, but at least they've tackled it and had success yeah. and can show you how. So, yeah. Yeah, I'd probably do it a bit differently second time, but it was good. It's Again, it's just trying something else a little yeah. bit out of one's comfort zone. But I, I learned quite a lot doing it, and I think at some point I will have another go at doing, yeah, another pair or two. But um, <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it's good, though. Yeah, it's good to try these things. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's one of the one of the things that daunts me with with pattern making with bags because like how did you because you would have yeah you made that all yourself where do you because with a wallet pattern it's easy because you only use like a little section and it's like okay I'll make a little okay that's not you know how do you do it with a bag like how do you know how the corners are going to fold I don't know how do you and how do you do your prototypes when you need such large pieces of leather well the nice thing about this the backpack was that it's just essentially a tote bag with a with box gussets on the bottom so it's the same same bag you you could have just put tote handles on it and made a really big tote bag yeah and so Mm. i felt like it was a good um crossover for people who have maybe done their first tote bag and now all we're doing is attaching the handles differently and now you have a backpack and so I wanted to make it pretty simple, pretty understandable for, for me as the pattern maker, but also for people to pick up and not see it as sort of a foreign concept. It's kind of a familiar one. Yeah. Mm. Um, so I felt comfortable. I usually, uh, I'm, I'm new to the digital pattern making, so this was the first project I took on and learned a lot in that process, but um, mm. I was comfortable enough dimensioning a, a tote bag that I felt like I could get a really good uh, first attempt just starting digitally on this it was like a challenge for myself to just do it all digitally print the pattern out and make it so i made one prototype and uh, altered a few things but it worked out pretty closely and i kind of went back and forth like the strap lengths and stuff i would prototype manually and then enter those dimensions in just to make sure it all worked out on on a person's body you know yeah so how did um so did you use what leather did you use first did you use because i know you can use canvas or like this other fake it's like a fake or like a it's like a cheaper leather first up i've used what's called a a split before so Mm. i mean i normally start off with like a paper pattern yeah just because i'm a bit too tight to use some leather and i try and lock up something in paper just to see if it looks sort of right and get a rough idea to sort of dimensions and then i have once or twice used what's called split leather which you can buy very, very cheaply. It's a bit below the top grain, basically. Oh, yeah. And that's quite good for mocking. The genuine leather. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, what's sold to most of us in the high street is genuine leather. And, yeah, I've just used that to sort of get a slightly, you know, one more step closer to doing the real thing and then go for it. 
Yeah. Yeah, I've never bought the splits, but that seemed like a really good way to yeah, go. Yeah, I didn't it's... even know you could buy them. Yeah, yeah really I mean... Key... Sorry, yeah, I was only going to say oh. in the UK, a company called Metropolitan Leather sometimes has them on their site, oh, yeah. and they are very cheap when they're there. You know, you can buy a large one for, like, UK 10 or 15 pound or something. It's not a lot. Mm-hmm. So it's an option. But, I mean, paper does it, or other cheaper leather and have a go for the initial one what leather can you use for that backpack can you use is it just mainly chrome tan or oh no anything i the the stiffness since it's a bag that's flipped uh from inside out to right side out i've made it out of uh three different leathers so far one i feel like was perfect and it was like a five six ounce medium temper it was like a the horween dublin and nice um, it turned nicely. It kept shape nicely. And then one that I made was a little too soft, a little too floppy for my taste. And then the one I finished most recently was firmer. It was an Italian veg tan, and it was um, really, really tough to flip outside. Right, right side oh, down. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it unless somebody wants to really have a wrestling match. The end result is amazing, you know. Once you once I finally turned it right side out, but it was yeah. a <laughs> I didn't know if I was going to make it. So. <laughs> I there had is that such once. thing as too stiff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. After this bag, it's any simple tote, and it was far too thick for leather and far too firm. And it's like <laughs> I did eventually manage to turn it out, and it stood up on its own. It was like a you know you could carry coal in it or something. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> it was a learning experience. Yeah. <laughs> I think that I'm going to learn a lot by watching people make the, you know, now that they have a pattern, they'll use all kinds of different leathers. Yeah, you know? that's good. Yes. Or maybe they'll all be blue. The only ones I've seen people make so far, they've used, used blue leather. So that's oh. that's pretty cool. But yeah. um, I, I'll learn a lot by seeing how they alter the pattern and, um, you know, getting their feedback on actually going through the process. Like, was it easy to understand? And here I tried this mm-hmm. leather and it worked well, or I, I made it out of canvas. So I think it'll be really fun to see how it kind of, takes shape for lots of different people in their own vision so that's pretty cool yeah be great actually be able to see all your little offspring (laughs) yeah being made (laughs) i think that that's one of the neatest things about social media and and uh instagram just interacting with people is just you have so many contacts that you can crowdsource ideas and and you don't have to um, have all the ideas you can just say here's how I do this, and then you'll get 10 responses to say, oh, here's a better way. And so you can learn so much by just having enough. You don't have to know it all, but you have to have enough maybe uh, boldness or whatever to get yourself out there and say, here's how I do it, and I'm very open to learning from you. And so I think that's how I learn almost everything is other people who who do know more, just maybe I haven't got to pick their brain yet. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Because you went down yeah. to... Oh, sorry, go on, Harry. No, I was only thinking, I really relate to that as well, because I I can remember, and I'm now going back pre-internet days, so I'll show my age a bit more, but, you know, I was at the time trying to make wooden chairs straight from the tree, and it was a real challenge to find any information, and you'd be going all over the place. But, I mean, now you want to make a new leather item or whatever, there's so much help out there, it's just fantastic. Mm. You know, we all learn, I think, so much from sort of seeing what's on social media. Because um, you went down to, uh, what's it called, um, Tandy Leather. 
went down to Texas. Yeah. Yeah. How was that? Yeah. Oh, it was really fun. I had a blast. It was strange to be away from my family for a whole week. Um, that's always that was the first time I'd left my whole family for that that period of time. Um, we have four four kids from ages one to nine, and uh, so that's a lot to leave my wife with for sure. But uh, yes. and, and I have a full time job, so it just felt like a really strange transition into a where I'm just solo, you know, in a new new city doing leather work for a full week instead of my day job for a full week so th- it was really fun kind of a novel thing to get to do and i met a lot of neat people um the purpose one of the purposes was to go and make this backpack and um, they filmed it and it just gave them an opportunity to for me to use some of their machines the sewing machine skydiving machine and kind of like uh, demonstrate the machines at work but then also just provide sort of a build-along video so I think it'll be similar to the one I made, but probably a lot nicer that had a, a camera guy and everything. And it'll be, it was really fun. Like I, I just was thinking to myself, if I would have told myself 20 years ago that that's what I would be doing for a week of my life at some point, that's such a strange, you know, such a weird thing to think that now I would be in Texas yeah. <laughs> you know, making a bag. And it, it was, it was really fun though. Really. Yeah. Made, I made some new, new friends and, um, actually connected with some people that I've only ever seen on Instagram. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'd been yeah. friends, you know, on the internet. And so we got together yeah. and had, had a meal and got to visit a couple shops, you know, uh, people's leather shops in their home. And, um, yeah, just a really fun trip. It was wow. worthwhile. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. yeah it sounds great. Yeah. Great opportunity to sort of, you know, learn and see other things. Did you come away with like a machine shopping list after that? No, thankfully. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Although it was, yeah, it, it was. Uh, I've never actually been to a Tandy. Well, maybe one Tandy store, but in the in Montana, we don't. Have, we might have one, but it's far away. So, uh, yeah. yeah, the state where I live is a little rural, so we don't have any big cities with big sto- Tandy stores. But yeah, yeah, it was just fun, and, and that was the headquarters. So they have a museum wow. with um, old leather pieces, mostly like tool, lots of leather tooling and things like that. Which, you know, Texas is kind of a, yes. a hub for that and so there was some amazing stuff that i've never seen in person and it was all put together in glass yeah. cases and Gosh. it was um really really neat to see in person stuff you and just yeah there, there was leather carving and tooling that I've, I've never seen anything like it so um yeah so if you ever are are there it's definitely worth stopping by and checking it out yes is there is there a history behind like the tooling in america because I've, i feel like the tooling's more of like an american um, tradition as opposed to like a more British is there do you know like is there a history behind it or well uh, yeah I, I'll let Tanner answer this one what I'll say very quickly is it's not terribly common in the UK I mean people do it and there's some pretty skillful people doing it mm-hmm. um, I heard and this is probably you see this totally wrong idea but i heard it sort of started in spain and then went across to america i don't know if that's what you hear tano in america and that's a, a totally wrong bit of history there <laughs> i don't know i don't know um i the, most of what i've learned i learned from don gonzalez and his podcast oh yeah i don't know if you yeah. guys have listened to that or seen oh, I mean, he does amazing tooling but i actually oh, want to try yeah. and get him on an episode like two podcasts <laughs> yeah yeah, he's good. Yeah. yeah. So he's got so many. Um, he's had a bunch of guests. Some guys who are 
just extremely talented mm. in the tooling leather. He's got some, uh, you know, yeah, saddle makers, hat makers, boot makers, uh, all kinds of, of people kind of associated with the industry in some way or another. And, um, yeah, so they really get into some cool history stuff about, yeah, yeah the different styles of stamping and tooling and um, just even regionally. I know that within the U.S., there's kind of the Texas style of saddle making. There's kind of the you know, Northwest. I mean, there, there's different, uh, you can, a saddle maker can tell where, where something came from based on the style of tooling and the style of the saddle. They can basically tell you which state or region yeah, it's from. Wow. Yeah. Yes. That's cool. I've never yeah. ever thought of that. Cause you see all the tool, like the tooling tools, like the basic ones and you're like, Oh yeah, there's like, you know, flower, uh, you know, three lines and wow, that's actually, mm. yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's truly, it's really a, of course you have a saddle, but then the, the tooling, is an expression of of art for sure and, and it's a very regional specific thing or it can be so they can say that's yeah. a you know, sheridan style tooling like this you know from wyoming um so different yeah the different 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 styles from different states even it's interesting it's yeah mm -hmm. okay. and then it's cool to see i i've seen uh you know follow some japanese uh people who make wallets and things and do some really unique tooling and it's, it's, it seems like you can yeah. really spot that style as well it's pretty cool yes and i've seen somebody's uh seen a couple of from russia where they do animals and they're so oh, lifelike yeah, yeah. like cats jumping out of wallets and it's yep staggering <laughs> yeah that's but, so fun yeah. to see yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i know like the texas bootmakers they have like the you know they'll stitch things of like flowers and they'll do you know they'll have a pet you know they'll put like a lay like a cut out leather and they'll put like another layer below it and it just like because that's just like that's just yeah skill and yeah that's pretty cool it's amazing. oh sorry yeah very impressive when i was looking at my shoes i came across um texas traditions who make lovely western boots mm. and they you know, do this fine filigree work in the leather and have a different color of leather behind it and i had a go at doing it i put a like a cutting needle into a sewing machine and tried oh, wow. to cut the filigree work. I just did a simple knife sheath, but it was really quite a challenge. But I guess it's one of those things, if you do it enough, you get good at it. You know, I was trying to cut out like a, a rose, and mm. it was going all over the place. But <laughs> you see their work, and you think, wow, you know, it's it's impressive. But I ended up with a sort of passable knife sheath. I'll have Different to see that. I heard you talk about it. Out. Uh, yeah. So the needle, the needle does the cutting? Yes, so what I did, I got oh. a quite a large, the largest needle my machine would take. Uh -huh. It was the same model, actually, but they used the Singer 31 series, the old ones. And I just mm. filed it and sharpened it into like a knife. Put it in really? the machine. Yeah, ran it at really high revs. And wow. it cut the leather. It's quite clever, huh. I mean. And, and you kind can of use... short stitch spacing, I imagine. Yes, very short, short, almost no stitch at all, almost. Yeah, very short yeah. stitch. Uh -huh. And it just cuts oh, wow. the leather, and you get quite fine detail. I mean, I was quite impressed, actually. I was going through calf leather, so roughly two millimeter, medium temper. Oh, wow. And it's doing it quite happily. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> huh. yeah, wow. it's quite good. There's a video of it somewhere I did. But, uh, yeah. Wow, that's cool. Okay. I love, yeah, your, your videos, Harry, are well, one in particular that I can recall was the mailbag that you made, and I think you used a Conway buckle, and that was, I think, how yeah. I found 
Oh yes, yeah. That that whole video, I ended up learning a lot from the whole video. But I, I was trying to learn about the Conway buckle, and it's amazing when you want something specific. It's actually pretty hard to find it on the internet. But yes. I was so happy yeah. to find yours, and you're, you explained the whole hist more more than just how to use it. You talked about the history of it and um, why it makes sense for a mail carrier. And so I've used it in a lot of bags, but I have you to to thank for <laughs> so education. That was so cool. Well, it's the U.S. postal bags that inspired me on that, you know. It's, yeah. uh, it's a quite <laughs> iconic, really, in their design. Oh, really? It's... That's a, that buckle? Because I've seen that buckle before, but I actually never noticed that that was actually... I thought it was just it looked nice. I thought... So what's the... Yeah. What's the... What's so special about it? This is where we probably need someone like Jojo Hurt to tell us, because I think it's part of bridle, horse bridle, the Conway buckles. I might be wrong. Or is it military belts? I don't know. But anyway, it's a very nice, quick way of changing position on a, a bag strap. So it's a bit like a Sam Brown start. You can pull the lever in, push it out, and do your adjustment really quickly. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> yeah, and it's very sturdy. You know, yeah, it's solid. Seems, seems yeah. Like it doesn't have to, yeah. It's not going anywhere, is it, anytime soon? It's solid. Yeah. It's, it's nice. It looks quite pleasing. So you Yeah, it's sleek. The U.S. Postal yeah. Service used to use exactly those buckles on their bags. Yes. Really? Yes. Okay. Wow. So these are the old leather bags. I mean, I think they don't think they use nice old leather ones anymore, do they? But I don't think so. <laughs> no. <laughs> the poor companies that used to make them, Bruckheimer <laughs> and someone else. But anyway, they were lovely old leather bags. Yeah. Um, how have you had any? Um, gone anywhere fancy? Harry from your YouTube had anyone contact you? Uh, <laughs> not especially. I get the odd um, sort of approach for sponsorship. Yeah, which is always quite I quite enjoy. So yeah, no, it's good good from that point of view. Um, but I haven't had any exciting trips to Texas or anything like that. Yeah. So <laughs> I know they have some nice good museums in the UK. Yes, yeah. I saw, yeah, like, recently yes. there was, a like, a bag exhibition in London. Mm. Yeah. About all the different different brands and all that sort of stuff. So, and pattern yeah. making and all that. When I was trying to make, so, like, tote bags and things, I went into a few of the big London stores, because it's quite a good way of seeing what there is out there, mm. you know, and... Yeah looking at some of the nice premium brands and seeing what they do it's you get a few ideas mm. yeah, <clears throat> have you been down to Savile Row before yes yes <laughs> there, I yeah, know there's an R.M. Williams London, shop so. down there oh is there yeah <laughs> yes. when when my parents were in London two years ago they said that like R.M. Williams had like a little stall like a little store down there right i know there's yeah. a shop called joseph down there as well i think it's a tailor oh yes yes yeah yeah i got like a, and there's a, Clar- a, a claridge hotel too for sure so is it? that's right yes yes uh, we, maybe, we all maybe a market hotel to <laughs> congregate maybe have a meeting over there <laughs> yeah i was once treated to a nice afternoon tea in claridge's <laughs> it's very oh, nice right? <laughs> yeah huh. oh that's cool um yeah i got like a little key ring my mum brought back a little key ring from um I forgot what store it was, but on the back of it had like the Prince of Wales, the Royal Warrant. Oh right, yes, so, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it was good. Nice. It was bridal leather. It, yeah, it was, it was... I'm pretty sure... I think it was English bridal, but it was bridal leather, but it was raised in the middle. With like must have been foam oh. or something. And I was thinking just to... Oh, I should t- like cut it in half just to see what it like... What it was. Oh, no, I don't want to... <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? How once you get into an interest, you start looking at things differently. Yeah, it's like the edge I mean, paint on the side. Yeah, okay. Yes, yeah, so you see all the details and, yeah. you know... It's right. like you'll look at a wallet or a watch strap or a tote bag and you'll you'll start to think, oh, yeah, okay, they've done that. That's quite clever or, you know. Yeah. yeah. And I remember, like, my first early days, I remember I walked into this shop and saw a, I think it was a notebook cover. And I remember, like, in my head, it just, like, each of the pieces just, like, came off each other. It's like, okay, I can see how it all comes together. <laughs> it's like... Uh, do you want to answer some questions at the moment or... Do you want to do that? We could try some, couldn't we? It's quite good, because at least if um, either, either the three of us don't know the answer, hopefully one of us will, kind of. What I got, I, <laughs> the, the one I got is, um, it's good, it makes you feel like you're on a game show, and it's like, yeah. best person. I've never, has anyone, have you ever been on a game show before? No, I haven't. Nope. <laughs> no. uh, where is it? Uh, so, this comes from H. HW goods. What is your favourite part when making leather goods? Hmm. Rock paper scissors. There you go. I I think that. Uh, well, I, I personally I, I enjoy the pattern making, but of course, like every step is enjoyable. There's really no. I used to kind of dread the the hand stitching part because I think that sort of took. Well, if I knew that that was like waiting ahead here's my dog um <laughs> this, is, this is sugar she came to visit um, sugar. yep um so that so if i were making a bag i think i would really enjoy everything except maybe the hand stitching just because there was so much of it mm-hmm. now that i've got a sewing machine for bigger projects that's so much more manageable that i feel like there really is no part that's not enjoyable so yeah I, yeah. I don't know. I, I think the the design process is really fun. Of course, finishing it is fun, but I don't find that any step in the middle is terribly <laughs> unenjoyable either. It's all fun. <laughs> yeah. I quite like the way with a project you go through all these different stages. So some bits, sometimes I sort of think, oh, don't know if I really want to do lots of cutting out. But you know that just around the corner you've got sewing or, you know, riveting or something else to do. So... Mm-hmm. I quite like the variety, I suppose. That's, that's what I quite like. So I find it very difficult to say there's one particular bit of a process that I like. Yeah. Okay. Not being very helpful in this question to HW, are we? <laughs> no, well, I, I thought of some. So um, I, I do like hand stitching, Like, but when you make a little wallet, like hand stitching is fun. I was, I was making a belt today, and because it was like five millimetres thick bridal leather... It was like, no, that wasn't fun stitching that because, you know. Wow. <laughs> um, I like it when, when you finish stitching and you crease the air, like you do that crease, you know, you, that decorative crease and the crease lines up perfectly with the stitching. Like you don't cross in. Do you know what sometimes you're, you're because you've, you'll stitch too close to the edge and when you edge crease it, your crease will go over your stitching I like when it's, yeah. it just doesn't. It's like a perfect line. 
And I'm not... I've never never creased like that, but I admire when you do. I I was watching your uh, making that knife sheath video, Joseph. Oh, well, I actually watched one you... of my videos. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> my sixty or sixty seven or sixty eight sixty nine subscribers. No, it's great. No, I, and, but it really adds so much class to have the the yeah. edge crease like that. Which yeah, maybe I've done it once or twice, but I've certainly never. It's not something I do regularly, but it sure looks nice. Yeah, because originally, because I've had my adjustable edge crease, so I've had that since like the very start of um, my leather craft, and but it was a bit annoying because when you want to go 1.5 millimeters, you have to get it exactly right. And if you're making, because I if I make a belt, then I need to change it, and then I have to go back to a wallet. I just bought a like a stationary 1.5 millimeter, and that was just like. When I got that tool, I was like, "Why didn't I buy this tool earlier?" <laughs> like, right. Because <laughs> I know you can, you can also heat it up. Like you can heat up the to get that more solid decorative line. But uh, yeah, no, mm-hmm. I, I do like it. It's a, it's a beautiful touch. Um, I have a a question that somebody um, kind of might go along with that. Somebody sent it to me um, that we could maybe address here regarding tools. So tools that you can spend, you should spend money on you know, good money on initially and tools where you don't need to spend, maybe you can get by with a cheaper tool for a while. What's, what are your experiences with those? I, I think actually just, if you're starting out, always just get a cheap sort of rubbish set of tools. Um, <laughs> they're not rubbish. I'm being unkind to them. Get a very cheap, just tool set, which I know this isn't in vogue. Cause most people seem to be buying very expensive tools these days, but, <clears> um, I think you can just buy a very basic starter set and you'll soon get a feel for what you like or you don't like. I started out buying quite a lot of second-hand tools by the old British makers, which were quite, they're they're nice, I'm still using a lot of them, um, and they're quite cheap second-hand, but I think if you just get one of these, like, Chinese-type sets of tools, I don't think it's a bad way to start. I mean... You can soon upgrade bits if you want to. I mean, things like stitching chisels, if you're doing a lot of stitching, and if you're using chisels, you may want to, at some point, upgrade to something rather nice, and it will be a heck of a difference. But just to get going, I don't think people should be put off. Yeah, I I think there's a danger of, with any of these things, tools taking over. And they are only just that, just a tool. <laughs> yeah. It's better to try yeah. and experiment and make a few mistakes and learn and then buy better stuff. That's my still personal feeling. Yeah. What was the question here? Oh, yeah, so it was tools that you can start off with cheap. Where okay. should Yeah, where should you focus okay. your is it, is spending it, first? Yeah, because I'm, I'm one of those people where I, I don't like to have a whole collection of tools. Like I like to have ones that I sort of practical but like ones that I'll you know then some that I'll spend money on tools that I've had since the very beginning a wood slicker a rubber hammer um hole punches like the ones that you smack like the different size holes those were like my grandfather's and I still use Mm. the rubber mallets my my dad's that I use uh adjustable creaser like that's easy you don't need an expensive Mm. one uh, like an edge crease of 1.5 millimeters doesn't they're not really that expensive uh what else needles 
they're cheap anyway thread depends what you want to use if i had to like do it all over again like i remember one thing is find out what stitching you want to use because then you can match your stitching to your pricking irons yeah find out what like thread you want to use if you want like closer like closer stitching further away stitching and then that will make it a lot more easier because then you won't be worrying about like round holes diamond holes all these different types of pricking irons um an edge beveler they're actually like you can you can get get away with a good one like a i got a weaver one like a zero i have a number three that i've had since the very begin beginning but there's also like a hack that you can use with it so it's it's, it's terrible but it works anyway like you can it's, it's, <laughs> it's it works but if you want to Someone told me if you want to get a lighter edge, you rotate it more to the right and you'll take less of the edge off. So you could use like a three as a one if you wanted to. Like just mm. rotate it more and you get like two for the price of one. Marble slab, you can you can get that from like a local... I haven't done this, but I probably should from like a marble place uh, for an offcut. Because marble slabs are annoying because I bought one from Weaver but like the shipping to Australia, like just the weight of marble. If you, oh, yes. I only bought the six by six one because the twelve by twelve is like way too much on the shipping. Mm. What else? Like then your normal soft hammer, you can get from your local hardware store. Your cutting knife, you can buy like a like a box cutter. You probably wouldn't need a skiving knife to start off with anyway because you wouldn't be skiving. So yeah, hopefully. I liked what you were. I think I was listening to the podcast you guys had done, and um, Harry, you were talking about knives and and yes. um, not necessarily needing to spend a lot. I mean, some of the yeah. less expensive knives, the steel is pretty decent if you're yes uh, good at sharpening. So I think maybe th that's a really good skill to develop. You know, because lots yes, of times even even when you buy a knife that is not cheap, yeah, it it doesn't always come sharp, and so it's good to know how to put a good edge on it. And a bit of like wet and dry paper, you know, if you can get several grits, nice fine grits of wet and dry paper, it's a very cheap way of sharpening, but a very effective way. So, you know, if you get to like, I don't know, going up through the grits up to a thousand and then maybe two thousand, and if you want to get insane for an edge, go up to three thousand grit. But it's a cheap, good way of getting a very nice polished edge, which mm. would do the cutting, even on a cheap tool it's i think a lot of these cheap tools just need a bit of finishing yeah well and so it's well even yes, like a bit of grinding and filing yeah well even um i bought like an oblong punch it arrived super blunt but <laughs> even though like these tools were expensive they arrived and they were blunt as so yes yeah it, like, it's yeah it's um I guess that's the price you pay for mass, like all tools are mass produced. You know, you'll get that one that will be super blunt. <laughs> so yes. you, you'll just, yeah. Um, I, I would like to get a Palisanto edge beveler though. I was going to say that a cheap edge beveler is, can be a very frustrating thing. Yeah. Uh, well, or at my, least one that's, mine is. that might be, that might be a place where if that's a frustration for you, spend a little more and get one that, it, not necessarily a top shelf, but um, you know, a good, yeah. a, a good quality one can be more satisfying. I think. Yeah. Otherwise, it can be pretty frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. Probably, probably edge beveler. Yeah. Yeah. 
and I think again it depends whether you're using an awl or whether you're using stitching chisels if you're using mm. stitching chisels and you're having to go through a lot of very thick leather then some of the more premium ones are are very nice to use yeah. and they cost yeah. they cost like I don't know 10 20 times more but they are they are probably worth it if you're doing a lot of going through thick leather it's it's one of those things isn't it I think start off if you, you start off with the sort of not such good stuff, you come to appreciate the better quality very quickly. Yeah. Well, like I bought an awl and I had this one for ages and then I learned how to sharpen an awl and that made a huge difference. Like the, yeah. the skills of like sharpening and stropping because that will just make your tools last so much longer. And especially, you know, like you said, Harry, <clears> if you buy a cheap tool, the steel's good on it. If you have the <clears> skill of sharpening, you can bring that up to a razor edge. So it's good, yeah. like, you, you, you might rely on the tool, but you also can use your skills to enhance that tool. Yeah, I yeah. really admire people that, that maintain and um, even even make their, their tools better than new, whereas it's also possible to have the nicest equipment, nicest tools, and let them get out of, out of shape and they're not sharp and the machines are not working well and you know you can spend a lot and still things don't work well because they're not well maintained so I think that um, it's probably also a good reason to start with less fancy tools because you learn just the basic skills you know you drop some I don't know how many how many stitching chisels I dropped and broke the teapot before I learned I shouldn't drop them on the floor so (laughs) they were thankfully cheap um, you know twenty dollars for a set from Amazon and I I went through a few sets, but I certainly learned how to stitch, you know. And uh, yeah. I haven't dropped my <laughs> my nice ones on the floor yet. So. <laughs> I remember I I dropped an awl on the floor, like I was stitching, and then I dropped. I because you know you you stitch with the awl, then you change to your fingers again. As I mm-hmm. changed, I dropped it, and it like fell on its head, <laughs> and I had to like do the whole head over. <laughs> like, oh, to, oh no. It was oh, it was so blunt. I couldn't believe it. Like when I, I was like, <laughs> no, it's lost the sharpness. <laughs> At least you haven't done what I did, which was use a stitching chisel. I, I use an anvil, so I always put a poly Ooh. mat on top of an anvil. And you know where this is going. I missed out the poly mat, needless to say, and went whack. <laughs> and it was quite an expensive stitching chisel, so I wasn't too happy. Oh, no. <laughs> Well, actually, when, when you when you do when you do hit your, I have found when you do hit your this the like pricking irons like with a like a hard surface underneath, it it hit it penetrates the leather so much better. I yes. found. Yeah. Yeah. It's not not too hard. Not not <laughs> steel. Yeah. Oh no! When you have um like you have like a piece of leather underneath, and then you. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. What pricking iron? What stitching chisels do you use, Tanner? The Cinebrox ones. Um, oh, the round ones. I know. Yeah, it was interesting. To, oh no, not the round, the slanted. Oh yeah, yeah same here. Yeah, yeah. They're, and they work really well. I, I it was interesting um, to hear um, Martin Caswell talk. I heard him run through six or so different styles, and they were one of his least favorite because they're so sharp. Mm-hmm. And so you can't. One thing you can do with just the pricking irons that aren't necessarily very like blade sharp. You know they. You can mark the leather, but it doesn't cut the leather. Yes. Whereas the Cinebrox are sharp, and so if you try to try to mark the leather like around a radius just to see how it's going to lay out, you'll end up cutting it, and then you can't take that back. So 
he didn't like it for that reason. And, and I, for the rest of every, I mean, they're just so nice and sharp. They're beautiful tools to use. Right. I like the weight and so, yeah. but I haven't, I haven't, I don't have lots of other sets to compare them to. Those are, uh, I have some crimson heights that I, I like, but, um, just find that I use the Cinebrox the most. Mm-hmm. In fairness to Cinebrox, it was a Cinebrox that I hit my anvil with, and it took a oh. chip out my anvil. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the tool got very slightly, and I was able to sort of like diamond stone it off. Ooh. So it's, it's still in use. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, somebody else had asked a question that kind of ties in about how do you afford expensive equipment, you know, machinery, sewing machine, mm. skiving machine. And I think it's that idea that, it's it's fine to start with very basic stuff, and you'll be surprised. You don't have to sell too many things before you've amassed. You know, as long as it's not feeding your family right at that time, you can yeah squirrel away a little bit of cash. You know, and sell some items. Meantime, you're you're getting good experience. But that's how I've been able to fund my hobby. You know, and, and now it's sort of a I've never gone into debt for any machinery. You know, but you can sell a handful of bags or or, or something like that enough to make it make you really want to have a sewing machine and then by that time you can afford a sewing machine so yeah yeah that's how i've approached it but also Uh, it's sort of down to sort of your pleasure isn't it because i mean there is a certain satisfaction and pleasure from doing lovely hand stitching Mm. and i mean joseph your wallets you know you do they do look absolutely stunning I mean, I wish I could hand stitch like that. You know, I can machine stitch like that. But, you know, it's it's you know they do look lovely. So I mean, it. I think again, it depends what you want from your leather work because mm. sometimes, sort of having the pleasure of hand stitching and producing something beautiful like that is very fulfilling. I mean, I like machinery, so I I veer towards machines, but that's just me. It's different approaches isn't it mm. yeah that's certainly a, a interesting topic to bring up you know and the i i have uh, just that idea of um is there a is it a natural progression to go to a sewing machine at some point or you know some people feel very strongly that no i'm never never going mm. to and i think in that crowd even there are people who felt that way for a long time and then have actually <laughs> made the transition eventually <laughs> well, well that's because, actually that's like, like my, my, myself i you know i was like oh I, I only hand stitch and you advertise that and you, you're so proud of that and then <laughs> then at some point it only makes sense to you know dabble a little and try a sewing machine and then you really see the advantage of it for lots of things but yeah i'm sort of at that dilemma i'm like weighing up it's like should i get a sewing machine or should i not get one because yeah it, it's all good to say, oh yeah, I'm all against, I'm all for hand stitching. But when you hand stitch a tote bag, <laughs> and it takes so it's a large um, item, isn't it? Yeah, and um, you need I think that. also. Yeah. So, I think it depends if your hands can take it as well, because well, well today you know, my knuckles were like so sore, like um, stitching that, just stitching that um that belt. Um, yeah. I, mean, I do hand stitch my belts, but that is a job which I break up because I know my hands, you know, after you've done 10 belts, they're noticing it. And so I sort of spread it over the week, you know, and do do them gradually over the week kind of thing because I find it can be quite heavy on your hands. Yeah, yeah. these, um, like, in between your, like, your two knuckles, whatever they're, it gets yeah. really, really sore. Um. 
Yeah, so like in regards to sewing, sewing machine, because it's such a huge investment, when did you guys feel like, okay, I'm going to actually buy this? Because, you know, it's one thing to have a hobby, but it's also like another thing to want to pursue it even further. When did... Yeah, what was the point in time where you're like, okay, I, I definitely want to get one? <laughs> Almost immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong answer, I know, but <laughs> yeah, um, I was doing a lot of what I call heavy, heavy leather work, and I saw a harness machine, and I thought, yeah, beautiful bit of kit that. <laughs> Get that and learn how to use it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's wisdom, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, Pract- yeah, practical wisdom. <laughs> foolhardy or wisdom yeah one or the other i'm not certain <laughs> yes <laughs> okay, not, not the answer i was expecting but no <laughs> i had made Hopefully a lot of you know panic and put the yeah. record right here and tell us the correct <laughs> way <laughs> <laughs> no it's, that, that makes i think there's just different depending on your background where how you what you've done the rest of your life how you view tools how you've used tools it can make something like a sewing machine seem much more approachable or less, you know, it can be either intimidating or just it can make perfect sense. And you think, Oh, that, that would make this job easy. So and I was kind of in between. I, I, all of my past career had been, I was a machinist. And so it was all about machines and things. And so, um, I really enjoyed the, just the quietness of hand stitching. And I think every, most people who do it seem to enjoy that just that it's, it can be so so nice looking and so strong and so clean and peaceful. Um, but then I had made a couple bags, about three bags by hand. And I thought, wow, I really enjoy this bag. And just the satisfaction of giving a bag to someone and seeing how much they enjoy using it. And that was about the time that I was taking my hobby and actually turning it into a, what I wanted to be a legitimate side hustle. And so I had a, I made a website and some products. I thought, if I'm going to do this, I can't, I can't be stitching bags by hand. So that was the, the point in time for me. I think probably the same story for a lot of people where you, you need to switch gears a little bit into at least small-scale production. And maybe I could have kept up with wallets. You know, I've always hand-stitched wallets, but bags were, were the tipping point for me. I knew if I wanted to pursue that, a, a machine would be necessary. So kind of jumped in with both feet and got the biggest <laughs> machine that you could buy, and it worked out pretty well. Um, could you... Do your showing machines, do they stitch on an angle so it looks hand-stitched? Can you get that feature? The yeah, needle so d- determines the needle. it, right? Yeah. Oh, really? It's a needle? Yeah. So you can get different kinds of leather point needles. So you get special needles, first of all, for leather. Mm-hmm. And then you can get, within that grouping, there are then different kinds of needle, whether you want it to look like a straighter line of stitches, more slanted to the left, more slanted to the right, or whatever. They're, I mean, go to probably, I just think of two or three needle manufacturers I can think of, and there are probably six different types of leather needle readily available, if you see what I mean. Yeah, okay. Mm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, uh, that was my, one of my big hang-ups was, I didn't necessarily like the look of a machine stitch after I knew what a good hand stitch would look like and I was really happy to find the right needle that you know and then the stitch spacing where it could almost it was pretty hard to tell at least on the top stitch for me hard to tell which was which so 
that was good. Yeah. I felt like that was yeah. a success and I could sort of branch, you know, make the transition without too big of a, I didn't have to wince too hard. So. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm liking these questions. I feel like I'm getting interviewed now. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I, here's one that I don't know if any of us are, well, I should, I shouldn't speak for you, but, um, Somebody was asking about tips for mass producing a single item. Like, so I have a little bit to speak on that, but but do either of you have more more on that one? Uh, Maybe boosting efficiency, or yeah, your thoughts on that? Yeah, so because yeah. I'm the I'm the type of person where I like to focus on one thing at a time. Like, if I'm making a wallet, it's like I find the satisfaction of putting all your en- energy devoted into one thing satisfying so I was like well I can't actually just make one wallet at a time because you know it takes like two to three hours or whatever to make one wallet so I think this is probably what this is what I learned from Bear he said um just do all your stuff um at the same time if that makes sense and you'll actually make a wallet in like two to three hours but you'll make because you'll be able to like do more things in that time you'll be able to be more efficient so i think it's like you know you cut out all your leather you you skive i'm not skive you'll you know crease it bevel it edge and do it for like every every single piece and then you'll glue every single piece and i found sort of um that way to be a lot more effective and also you're not sort of rushing ahead like you're not making a wallet and then having to go back to the beginning to make a new wallet you're sort of making um a batch you know you could make five or eight or something like that at the same time i find yeah. that quite effective it yeah, can be you, you do feel like a production line but it it works <laughs> yeah i did quite a lot of what i call small batch you know production and there's no doubt about it i find there's an optimal size of batch so one of my mm-hmm. little, if you like, bits of advice for questioner would be consider what is a sensible um, sort of size of batch to do because you'll find you'll get not only very good time economy, but you'll also find that you, your quality goes right up because yeah. if you're just as an example punching holes or something, if you've got to do 200 in a row, you'll probably get very accurate because you get in the swing of it. But there'll come a point where you'll get a bit tired, lose your focus. Mm. So there's like this optimal size. And if you've got a small workshop like I have, then there's also perhaps physical constraints to consider as well. Like you can only have so many wallet pieces across your workspace or mm. whatever. So, but yeah, I'm personally, I'm a great advocate for if you're wanting to do sort of production, as the question is saying, is do small batch you get all your processes what, yeah, what, what have you found to be at your optimal size and what where does it become too big to be as to, to put in the quality that you want yeah it depends on the product let's just say uh-huh. keeping it to wallets as an example i find if they're more complicated like build fold wallets i keep the batch size smaller than if i'm doing like vertical wallets so build forward you know something like and again, it depends if you're hand stitching them or machine stitching them. 
but something like eight wallets in a batch is quite nice because mm -hmm. there's enough of each process. It's worth setting up your machine with a bobbin if you're machining, if you're obviously hand sewing, it's enough to get your bits sort of stuck together in a, when fin edge finish is done and all that sort of thing in a batch. So, mm. yeah, not, not huge numbers, but enough. If you're just doing like one item, start to finish, then the next item, start to finish, I feel you're losing an awful lot of time swapping out tools, but also you're losing your accuracy because if you're having to like edge, you know, 10 items, you're going to get good at it without getting too tired of doing it. Yeah. If that makes sense. And also a good thing, like when you're, if you're using glue on your projects as well, you can let the glue set do something and then by the time you finish doing it and you come back to the first one the glue's already dried so you've yeah. saved that time of having to wait for that first item to dry yeah mm -hmm. absolutely yeah yeah that's yeah i <clears throat> i agree for sure i think that that's an interesting point about the size of knowing the size of batch that you that you are comfortable with i i find <clears throat> you know for wallets if i have like you said, six or eight to do, that's a good a good number. That's a lot for me. Yeah. But 20 or 25, it's just a stack that's just like haunting me that I you know, have to chug through and I, it takes the fun out of it for me. Yeah. Um, and then, and then you, you find yourself kind of despising like even approaching that stack, you know, it's like, oh, it's just too daunting. And, and then the quality that I know I want to put into every, because at the end of the day, you're going to give one wallet to one person Mm. And even even if it's one of 25, and I would like that one wallet to be just as good as if it were the only one I made in that batch, you know. Absolutely. And so it's it's hard to for for me to uh, be motivated to put the same quality in if I'm making that many. Not that I wouldn't yeah, do yeah. it, but it's just easier to do easier to approach if it's just a handful. But yeah, I think so. I mean, each person to themselves on this one because you know some people say, "Oh no, I'm happy doing a far." larger batch mm -hmm. I, i'm with you tan I, I wouldn't want any batch to be too large myself but i admire it when i see people who do seem to manage to turn out you know large huge batches and still do good stuff it's yeah impressive i did one thing that um has been new to me this year was to buy some clicker dies uh, for, for patterns that i felt like were pretty well dialed in um and it was funny because i first thought Right about the time I bought the sewing machine, the, I bought a clicker press just maybe a few months after that when I was really thinking I would scale up. And uh, it was funny that after I bought the press, it was probably two years that went by before I bought my first die just because I felt intimidated. I didn't know where to go to get a die in the whole process. Um, finally, I did. Now I have um, a good relationship with a die maker that they made it easy for me to you know, take some of the mystery out of it so that I could get my first one, which I made a mistake. <laughs> so I, I learned, you know, I, I paid for that mistake. But uh, anyway, it's become a process that I'm more comfortable with. And so when I have a pattern that I feel like is well worked out, mm. um, it doesn't matter if the cuts are intricate anymore because I know I can just click it out. Yeah. Whereas I used to dread that certain project because the radiuses were tight and hard to cut by hand and... Um, now that you get, I have a die, it's just, you know, that it's kind of like having a sewing machine. You don't dread that project. Now you can no. enjoy the rest of it and not dread just the cutting of it. <laughs> are, are dies expensive to get? 
Well, I, I would say like for a wallet, like a one piece. I have a one piece wallet that kind of folds up, and so I think the die might have been one hundred and fifty dollars. Okay, that's like you know three mm. wallets, or it's not yeah. awful. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know. Like the hand cutting the leather, it's amazing how much time you use of cutting leather by hand. Yeah, like, it's like once you cut it, it's like, okay, finally, just done all that. <laughs> it's like three hours have gone by. Oh, and it's yeah. really enjoyable, you know. I love yeah. cutting leather by hand, but again, it's the if, if you're looking to scale up production, I found yeah. that's something that can really take some of the pain out of it. Yeah, not definitely. And you, you get lovely accuracy as well if you have mm, yeah. you know reasonable dies. I I started out trying to make my own dies. Oh yeah, and it was fine for bags because a little like millimeter two of margin of error doesn't matter on a bag base or something. I then tried doing it on wallets and I ended up having to re-trim quite a few bits because my mm. die making was not up to it. Basically. I remember watching those videos and I love that. <laughs> yes. that's, that's, I love it so much that you just tackle that. You're like, oh, I think I can do that. So you go for it. Yeah. That's so fun to watch. Yeah. I don't make my life easy because I ended up, you know, I started first of all making a clicker press. I then um, converted a car like we all press and use that and eventually <laughs> I actually got one of the little um, four ton weaver press things yeah but um, oh. yeah but it, it's kind of thing I think making your own dies I wouldn't enter it again lightly I don't think it was great because you had I was able to do some quite complicated dies which would have been more difficult I think to get hold of but it was very very mm. challenging for me yeah. So, um, yeah, commercial dyes, I think, have a lot going for them. So, how did you... I didn't know you had a video. How did you do it? Do you just weld a bunch a, of metal together and sharpen it and then try and push it I, down? No, I bought the dye materials. I bought the steel wool dyes in strip yeah. form. And then I had this, um, like, manual bending machine yeah. that would shape it. I started out using a little jeweler's ring bender which actually was quite effective. But then I graduated on to an old, um, you know, big heavy-duty clicking dime bender, um, mm. which was far better. It had the right heads and everything on it. It's just that when you're doing something small like a wallet, the tiniest error yeah. will scream out. So it was fine for the larger items, things like, you know, bags. It was very useful for that. But, um, yeah, in the end, I thought, no, I'll stick to commercial stuff. Let the experts do that bit. Yeah, I know. One of, uh, oh, sorry. I was going to say, one of the things, yeah, one of my wallets, the, the, the Russian one where the, the pockets go like that, like, that drives me insane, like, cutting that out. Like, cause you have to get it. So, yeah, so that's one thing I wish I had a die for. Uh... <laughs> I, I, my Probably one of the reasons I prolonged ordering a die was like is my perfectionism and i you spend so much time making the perfect pattern and every radius is just like you want it and then you just fear that like you're going to send it to a die maker and you'll get this crude like cookie cutter back which you know they didn't take yeah. the time to to put as much love into it as you did in, in designing it but i found one company that will um <clears throat> they manufacture things for like their their primary business is dies for uh food carton manufacturing and oh, okay. things like that is that milwaukee yeah and yeah, so their yeah. accuracy is extremely good. And so I, yeah, I when I got my first die back from them, 
I punched out a wallet and I folded it up and I thought, this is too big. And, uh, sure enough, it was my mistake. I had, you know, I drug the corner of the pattern and made it, I enlarged it at the last second. <laughs> and, and so, but I measured, measured my, the cutout piece of leather, you know, against the drawing and it was within a millimeter, half a millimeter easily. And every yeah. radius is perfect. It was, so I thought that they made a mistake, but sure enough, they were like dead on and they have been yeah. every, Wow. So yeah, very very nice. It's kind of a different way of manufacturing. It's all it's a very you know they use a laser to uh, cut a piece of plexiglass and then they have a mechanized bender for the yes. the steel the steel rule die and um, yeah it's very very accurate. It's really cool. Yes. Yeah. Do, do you just have to send the PDF of your? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Do you have to do you have to sharpen like do you have to strop the uh, or is it quite sharp the like it will, go, it will stay sharp the clicker die for ages it's pretty sharp when it yeah. comes and um it should stay pretty sharp because obviously cutting into leather is a little bit like stropping it mm-hmm. as it works but i mean after a lot of use you might want to just rub a ceramic stick around it just to re-keen the edge yeah okay mm. that's a good question actually. yeah i don't i haven't put i don't I haven't put as many miles well far fewer miles on my dies and, and press as a lot of people so i, I can't yeah. speak to that but i know that these dies are not meant the, the milwaukee steel roll dies are not meant um for heavy leather you know they're a lighter no. lighter duty type of deal but for you know lighter leather they're really really nice mm. did they make tools that brand milwaukee that's a different yeah milwaukee is a city you know, uh, in in the state of Wisconsin, and it's so they there are tools that are branded Milwaukee, but it's not it's not associated with the same. Oh, okay, yeah. Company, no. Okay. They make it's like Dewalt or or mm. Makita. It's like power tools, hand tools. Yeah, mm. yeah. Okay, fascinating. I thought this was kind of a good one because at one point or another, we've all been here. At what point do you know you're ready to sell your work? <laughs> 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 Well, what I personally did was I made stuff for myself, which was probably pretty awful. I <laughs> then the next sort of gradua- graduation from that was, well, it was getting a tad better so I could give it to friends. Mm. Um, play often as a freebie or, you know. And then you get a little bit better and someone says, can you make me an X or Y? Like, you know. I don't know, something fairly crude, like an axe cover or something. And then you can start, well, this is how I did it. I started charging. And then you get a bit better. And then you decide to make something and sell it. And then it's up to people if they want to buy it. And that's the sort of end, if you like, test on that. They either buy it or they don't. So that's how I saw it. Mm-hmm. So a, a gradual sort of, you know, going up, giving to friends, maybe giving us presents and going through. Mm. What was the thing that, when, when you decided to make something that was not a custom order, what was your first thing or, or series of things that you, you made just to make and then see if you could sell them? Um, I think it was tool rolls for oh, that's right. yeah. carving knives. Yeah, so, you um, said that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I think that's the first thing. And I just trotted out about probably 10 or 20 on a sewing machine. I was going to a wood fair, so I tried to sell them. Mm. and that's that's the first lot yeah that's cool my family um so i've never done anything like a market farmer's market or things like that 
Mm. Um, but my family next weekend, we're going to, the pressure is off of me because everybody else in my family has, is so crafty as well. So we're going to have a family booth. Oh, so wow. my, my dad is doing, uh, he does woodwork, but lately he's got a, a laser and a CNC router kinds of really neat things with each of those. Um, yeah. and then my mom, uh, it's a craft that reminds me of you here. She takes birch bark and yes. then makes, um, actually here's, here's the one right here. You, if you're listening on the podcast, you can't see it, but this is, a Oh, wow. Like a, it's blood, but I'm seeing yeah, lovely, so, um, birch so bark baskets. Stitched with like a sin, like a artificial sinew. Um, yes. These are eagle feathers inside because we have eagles that fly and leave their feathers around. But anyway, wow. she makes really neat little like little vases out of birch bark or sometimes pine needles that are like woven together. Yes. Um, and each is really unique. And so she anyway. And then my wife is making some leather earrings and um, going to sell our chicken eggs. And so Excellent. we're going to have a fa- family booth. And I might make a wallet or two, but um, the pressure is off for me. So, but there, there's that anticipation where you you make things. You know, and you have a batch now, and you're going to go put it on a table and have people walk by and look at it. And that's just something yeah. I've not ever done. So this will be new new for me. Yeah, I respect. I if, and I think. Uh, I believe it was you talking. Uh, I've heard the same from other people who do markets often as one market can be, you know, all the interest in the world and, and people are just did love coming by to take, to, to pick it up and yeah. buy it even. And another market can be just a complete zero. You know, people don't, just the wrong That's place, right. the wrong don't, time. Don't get anywhere. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I think so yeah. don't be put off anyone who maybe is thinking of trying a market, mm-hmm. try one see what happens and then have a think about it afterwards why it was good or bad <laughs> yeah i found i found the same with woodwork because um going back a, a lot of years now i did um like some woodwork markets selling wooden things i'd made and i found a similar thing that some markets were really good and others were absolutely awful you know and you, mm. you had to two extremes almost it's kind of like those youtube videos where the the world-class violinist will play in a subway station you know yes yes <laughs> people that's right. just walk by and then you know, nobody yes. notices maybe a couple people stop and take note and then he, that night he's playing in the symphony hall you know and he's the, the featured soloist <laughs> yes. yeah and um, sydney up for household yeah it just or a piece of art you know an artist on the street just you know painting where it's the context i think and and the right piece of art in the right place can make you know sometimes yeah. that unfortunately has a lot to do with how well things are perceived and so interesting mm-hmm. mm. yeah. I, I know it's interesting too like etsy is is great because you can sell things anybody can sell things there but i, I do think there's sometimes a perception well there's you don't have quite the ability to curate your own work there um no. I, I had sold some things on etsy and then and then, but when I made a website where you, you, you can, you're in charge of the, the look and the feel of the site and you're not competing yeah. directly in search with other people. It's a nice way to, I think, establish your own brand and your own look and you can decide you don't have to compete on price with the next wallet down the line no. or the next belt. You can say, look, this is a $200 belt and this is exactly why it's the right belt for you. And, um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And I, 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 yeah, I quite agree. It's, it's, it's a very good way to get started, I think, and to try a few things, see what people like or don't like. But it is far more difficult because there's no 
overall control is as you're saying it's yeah yeah it's a and i think it might be frustrating for people you say i have 100 things on etsy and nobody's buying them and they could be the nicest things in the world but Mm. not not to downplay etsy at all in in particular but just to as for someone who's looking to sell things don't be discouraged if it doesn't sell at this market or on etsy because people are out there who probably will really enjoy it it's just a matter of finding them and finding a way to get it in front of them yeah 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 i heard there's like a someone wrote this article it was like uh about having a thousand subscribe you only need like a thousand true followers to be able to build Mm -hmm. a brand or something it's quite fascinating like a Mm. yeah i can't remember where i was from but i don't remember the author but a thousand true fans is the yeah is the book yeah Mm. interesting and i think that he was talking you know uh, in terms of especially i think if you have a an audience who are you know paying for education paying you know buying your books buying your your goods you know things things like that that's um if you are able to find ways to have a an ongoing relationship and an ongoing income from those thousand people that's that's a pretty pretty interesting concept i think yeah you got a hundred thousand friends harry (laughs) <laughs> did you did you get like a a youtube little yeah, silver, did you? I saw that. silver thing yes. yeah where do you put it's it awesome. is it on a <laughs> in a, a workshop in a safe somewhere <laughs> yeah no it's in the workshop yeah that's that's <laughs> awesome congratulations on that 102 no, i saw yeah so cool. took a long time at a yeah. bit of fun that's yeah. awesome yeah it's cool. quite quite a fun little milestone to have yeah. in life <laughs> isn't that interesting I, I loved hearing your story about making the first video with your son almost as a as a yes. joke or just for fun yeah. anyway not that thinking you'd be getting a silver play button now <laughs> yeah, that's right yes <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. so cool yeah <laughs> yeah is, is that the first one you get is it 100,000 yes okay. yeah yeah we have a bit yeah, to go Tanner really cool. I, yeah, I'm so. <laughs> but you don't. It's not the quantity; it's the quality. So you know, you get your thousand, get the right thousand people following you, and yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, um, well, Joe said at the Joe, beginning of the Joe okay. said it was like the first ten thousand is the hardest to get, and then after that, it's all it naturally goes. I think there's something to that. Yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah. I think um, also, I think um, both Joe and in fact yourself, Tanner, you've got it right, I think, in, in, because you're both keeping very clear to your audience what you're offering, mm. which I think is important because I think people come to my channel nowadays and they think, well, I'm not completely certain of what this is about. Is it woodwork or is it leather work or is it his holiday downing or whatever? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a little bit scattered and so it's yeah. not such a coherent thing so um i think it's far better doing it as you are keeping it focused on you know one line of interest um it's just my i suppose i i sort of take it seriously but i suppose my personality is such that i tend to flit all over the place that's just me and therefore yeah. reflected in my youtube i've done myself if you like no favors with that sort of approach i suppose is what i'm saying but 
well, hey, you yeah. know, it's wonderful it's, though, and, and that's you, and we get to see like, yeah, so many aspects yeah. of you. And, yeah, I've quite enjoyed it. And keeps you I out think of trouble. <laughs> that's the thing what I'm I... worried about is like the you need like a good background, and that's what I like no. about your YouTube, Harry, is that it's so like authentic. Like <laughs> right. I mean, I'm in my workshop, like yeah, it's just I don't know, very authentic. Yeah, and that's the thing about YouTube, you know, they're no. looking for authentic. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's quite nice, isn't it? Yeah, I just look at yours as long as it's rather... sorry. Uh, yeah, I look at yours. I'm just rather envious of that lovely space you have. Yeah, same. <laughs> it is pretty cool. We we bought it this is. Yeah. Uh, home. It, uh, it's right next door to my parents, and so it was always the neighboring property. And it's a the the home itself is an 1898 log home. Oh wow! And yeah. it was made. We in fact just this week we've met some descendants of the man who actually made it made it in 1898. He was, and uh, so we're we're learning more history about the home. And then um, w- one of the separate buildings from the home, there, there's a uh, a shop anyway where I get to have the leather shop. And um, it, it was a weaving room for a long time. The lady who lived there for decades was a weaver. And so it has a beautiful view from the upper upper yes. room. And um, it had this horrible, <laughs> in my opinion, this, this orange shag carpet that we had to get rid of. And, <laughs> but it was a really wonderful space. So, yeah, in fact, I feel very, very, I couldn't have... Uh, couldn't have envisioned a nicer space, although it's very hot in the summer and very cold in the winter. But besides that, it's a beautiful space. Yeah, it's really. I feel blessed yeah, it looks by that. Nice light and view of a, yeah. a, a lake or something in the background. Yeah, there is a lake. Yeah, most yeah, of the videos are, are dark. You know, it's dark, it's nighttime and the kids are in I bed. Know. But... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's a beautiful lovely. beautiful place. That um. Yeah, it's it's pretty neat. <laughs> but the, the the youtube I, I like i think you're you're right um in in the idea that it's good for people to know just as a consumer of videos you know it's good to yeah. know what you're what you're in for so yeah. as i as i geared up this year it was january january 1st i said you know i think it's time <laughs> time to do it i've <laughs> thought about it for so long i know i can't keep up with making goods anymore like one by one so i think it's time to learn about video. So I never had edited a video. I never had so wow. many things I had never done, but I thought I can, I can do this. If, if Harry yeah. can do it, I can do it. Yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely. Anybody, you know? And so, yeah. um, but in doing that, I, I felt like, and like, like a lot of things in life, I think when you approach it with a little bit of, of clarity and direction, mm-hmm. um, uh, for me, I didn't have that like at the beginning of Instagram, you know, but, uh, which is fine. But with YouTube, I felt like, okay, this is going to be like pretty focused. And so I really enjoyed kind of first doing some, some investigation and sort of the nuts and bolts and being able to approach it with a little bit more uh, intentionality. So yeah, um, it's, it's not perfect and it, it will always be, I mean, it's so far from perfect, but, but at least I tr- felt like I had a direction from the beginning. And so hopefully that really becomes more and more focused. I think it will become more and more focused instead of more and more dispersed in its focus, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think, I think it's great. So, yeah, keep, keep it up. <laughs> I feel like we're, we're on the same same page, Tanner, because like um, I came up with like the idea of the podcast happened on Christmas Eve, mm, and it's like awesome. it's like uh, seven months. Like you know, I could not have imagined like seven months like later I would be talking to all these people like, all across the world. Um, yeah, yeah, so it's, cool. It's, uh, 
and it's good because you can with like a youtube or a podcast or something you can you sort of see your growth like as each episode goes on Mm. do you get like metrics telling you views and all that sort of stuff and yeah like analytics and yeah 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 Yeah, most of my view like majority of my viewers are in the u.s actually which are yeah yeah interesting Mm. so just this will be like a uh, you know a little marker you're putting in the ground today if if you feel comfortable telling telling the us and and the (laughs) listeners like how, how many people listen to a certain one? And then in five years, you can laugh about how few there were, right? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I should edit this out. Um, <laughs> well, it will, um, Putting on. you on the spot now, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> you don't well, have to. You don't have to, but... Well, I, uh, um, let's put it another way. Let's, let's answer the question perhaps differently. Have you noticed growth in um, listening? Yeah. yeah. Or is it... Yeah. yeah I've... I've, I've I went through a period um, where, so originally, so I'll, I might as well just, I'll, I'll tell you how I, the podcast actually came up with, so the view, yeah, people know nothing about me, I'm just the uh, random person that le- interviews all these famous leather workers. Um, so, yeah, Jan- it was December 24th, and Little King... Ryan, he put out a video saying, and, and it popped up on my phone as a notification, and it was like, I almost quit. And I was like, mm. it's, it's like, so I clicked on it and I watched it, and I thought it was like so fascinating because he went into like a lot of detail about, you know, his struggles of leathercraft and that sort of stuff. And prior to that, because I always wanted to sort of make a dent in the leathercraft community and I tried YouTube but that sort of I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw all this beautiful work and it was kind of discouraging and um mm. and then I saw that Little King video and I was like wow like he actually shared like a really in-depth thing about his story what about if I interview people who because we don't know like what craftsmen put into their work and that's sort of what it yeah, that's right. came up with and and so I was ready to go and um, I sent like all these people that I had followed <laughs> like invites and I think I only had like 150 followers or something on my Instagram. So, you know, all these people getting like, hey, come join my podcast and like I've had like no episodes. And anyway, when I was at RM Williams, because I worked there uh, in the belt section actually, like making belts every day and... I got a good acquaintance with Steve from Gully Leather. So Steve worked at RM Williams as well. And me and him like built a good friendship. Like we uh we were both interested in leather work. He did leather work and so this was like two thousand so this is like rewinding back even further. So sort of November, December twenty nineteen. Um and I sort of stopped leather work for a bit because it just got way too expensive and you sort of I didn't even know Coastal existed. I didn't know that the whole leather community... I knew, like, Stock and Barrel, Little King, all those sorts of people, but not really the in-depth, you know, that I know now. And I didn't know that you could buy leather in panels. I thought you had to buy full sides and I was and all that sort of stuff. So all that was, like, just so discouraging, like, you know. And, yeah, so I got good friends with Steve and at RM Williams, they would hand-weave all their belts by hand like their kangaroo belts they weave them all by hand but they would throw the offcuts 
away, but Steve would keep him. So he would have all these kangaroo off. Right, yes. So um, I went to Steve's house and um, he gave me all these kangaroo offcuts, and that's sort of how I restarted all over again. Yeah, and then... So I thought that, like, I did the first introduction of the podcast, and then... But I thought, like, the first... Like, the second episode... Like, I thought it was very fitting to have Steve on because he was, like, so helpful in Aaron Williams and we sort of built built a good friendship and yeah so that was the first and then um literally I can go through like how I got every single person so I was I remember I emailed messaged Charlie because I was like I want want to talk to Charlie because I learned leather craft from him and he got back to me like straight away I couldn't believe it he's like yeah like I'm happy to do a podcast yeah, great. And I was like, what? Like, this guy is, like, has all these views on YouTube and he wants some dude that does... Anyway, so, yeah, interviewed... Um, no, he ha- he wanted to be interviewed later on. So I was stuck with... I needed someone to talk to and I, I sent Weaver because I was like, oh, I'd, I'd like to talk to Chuck, Chuck Dorsett. So I sent, yes. I sent Weaver an email and I never heard back from him for ages. So I was, like, mm-hmm. in this phase where I was, like, I just wasn't talking to anyone and then... This is like long-winded. I'll, I'll have to get into more detail into my episode, but um, Trenton and Heath, they do like shoe sole videos on YouTube. Yeah, they're good. And yeah. I was I was sort of watching a lot of their videos, and I was like, well, they're technically leather crafters because you know shoe repairers mm. they deal with leather. So I was like, oh, fine. I'll, I'll just flick them a message, and mm. they're like, not expecting anything from it because they had like two thousand subscribers. And they got back to me like, yeah, sure, we'll do an episode. And I, I, just, I just couldn't believe it. Like, I had like 150 <laughs> followers. And then and then Chuck Dorsett just randomly messaged me out of the blue saying, oh, hi, Joe. Like, yeah, I'm happy to do an episode. So Excellent, mm. yeah. I think like, it, 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 I think the early episodes, I really appreciate like those people that sort of gave me the chance. I'm not saying that like people nowadays don't give you a chance, but when you're starting out, it's like... It's so easy for people to say no, but yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Setting yeah, out on anything to get life, that momentum, you know. but yeah, you give it saying yes, that sort of helped. And then you know, you someone says, Oh, I should talk to him, or you know, I saw Stock and Barrow, I saw Lost Ping when I saw Claridge, I was like, Oh, send me yeah. a message, and sort of how that's all goes mm. from there. That's what, good. What yeah. were you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> you've just, so you've nice just dodged your question completely there what, what numbers was it? but don't, don't worry oh, it's yeah, all right. yeah. <laughs> you're running for office I think running yeah I think he could make a good um, he'd have parliament <laughs> yeah member of parliament <laughs> get over no, this that's um, great I, I really it's so I really admire your uh, boldness to, to start that up because I think it's you're adding such a such value to, to the community by this by, yeah. by doing this and um, well, t- certainly to me, and um, like I've loved all of the podcasts that you've done that I've listened to, and they're just, I just, re- I think everybody just really enjoys hearing from humans, you know, you can see yeah. pictures, you see this, uh, I, anyway, like you said about Ryan from Little King, just, you have no idea what's going on until somebody might open up, and I think this is a really awesome format to to allow people to open up and get some backstory and hear about families and business failures and successes yeah. it's just it's fun yeah it's yeah. a good job it's it's nice to hear that people find it enjoyable because i just never would have thought that people would have find it enjoyable like you know when people say, like 
Do you know is when I'm like stitching belts or yeah. something. I like having the podcast on because yeah. I, I can focus on my stitching, but I can listen, and it keeps me very much on task. Otherwise, yeah. I know with me, my mind drifts off onto the next thing, and you know. So I really enjoy it from that point of view. I yeah. always think it's. Is there something very nice about hearing other people? And you learn little tips as you go along. You, yeah, you, what people are saying, you can learn a lot. Yeah. I, yeah, I just... Do you know when people say, oh, I, I didn't think I'd be doing this? Like, mm-hmm. I literally didn't think I'd be yeah. doing this. <laughs> well, so, well yeah, done, this, this is good for you. This is a good thing. That's great, yeah. And, I mean, I've, I've enjoyed everyone, and, and I think everybody who... It's, it's, it's hard in a sea of podcasts or video or... Uh, it's just hard to, you you know the, the value in it, and I know the value in each of your podcasts. But yeah, to get yeah. It in, in, into the ears of a person, that's the hard part. But I know that once once it gets there, they find value in it, and that's, there's nothing better in the workshop, like you said, Harry. No, and I think as people find, they'll over time will find, you know, more and more people come to your podcast, and they'll find yeah. it, and word gets round, and it's good. Yeah, I'd no, like you're doing, to. Um... You're doing a, a very good thing i think for the level oh. craft community no thanks for that you know and um yeah stick with it <laughs> yeah i think i think that's the main thing just consistency um, yeah yeah it's more of a consistent effort it's more satisfying yeah so and you have an archive a library that yeah as your audience grows they're going to look back in, into the archive and just like youtube it's, it doesn't go away and yeah. it represents your body of work and so they can look yeah. back and see other people they know other interviews and and it's only going to grow it will never diminish yeah. which is awesome so yeah keep yeah. it up no thanks for that yeah oh, awesome it yeah is. i'm not sure if it's like because like some podcasts are, i'm not sure if it's too long like do you know uh you go on youtube and people do podcasts but they'll like segment the clips i think it's better for video to segment it yeah I for like... podcasting this is a good yeah, yeah. two it's hours more hour. natural, isn't it for yeah. podcasting yeah i think you know youtube you accept you're going to get lots of cut clips and people oh, yeah. keep it short but no i think podcast is more natural yeah yeah okay and it'll always be you can pick it right up where you left off if you have to yeah turn your phone off for a little bit yeah, yeah. that's good that's right <laughs> yeah which is quite nice yeah yeah so one one more question that i got i, I was uh, re- regarding uh after you've dyed veg tan leather what should you use on it to seal it so that it doesn't rub off onto clothes uh, I don't know, like, that's one of the things I struggled with when I was dyeing belts, because with, like, belts, it rains, the dye can seep onto you. I, actually, I found that the hard way. I remember I was wearing a suit one time, and it rained, and then I looked down, and, like, all this dye, like, went around my, my suit. <laughs> but yes. I, think, I think that's because I, I beeswaxed it, and then I applied dye, so I think that's sort of what did it. Um I've heard acrylic resiline helps with keeping the dye. I don't know what, like, sort of goes on top in it. Like, Phoebing sell the acrylic resiline, but, yeah, on my belts, I, I put acrylic resiline. It also produces a nice shine as well. Um, it's also good on, on wear points as well. So, for the tote bag I made, I put acrylic resiline on the handles. Mm. And the watch strap I made, I also put acrylic resiline on the edges because um, the fibres can come up and I sort of don't like that I don't like when the fibers pop up so I sort of adding that extra protection on wear points this hmm. yeah I, I don't use this 
Yeah. I, used, I was gonna say I, I put it over beeswax. I'm not sure if you should do that. Like I apply beeswax and then put the, put it on top. I know that's just how I do it. So I've used it quite a bit on. Um, yeah, I've, I've burnished edges, you know, sheets and holsters and things with with beeswax, and then at the end, just the resiline over everything. And yeah, that seems to seems to do a good job. Yeah, at keeping yeah. the dye from bleeding. So yeah, I, and I usually cut it with water. Um, Somebody mentioned that it helps it go on a little less tacky if you go like 50-50 with water and it just seems to, okay. you might do a couple coats, but it, it seems to not get gummy or tacky feeling. It just, I don't know, you can do it both ways, but that's that's one thing I've, I've done. And I usually put it on with, with a piece of uh, sheepskin, shearling, or also wool dauber, just kind of yeah. smear it all over, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing about all of that also is um, some dyes are better uh, not if you like giving off color compared mm. to other dyes so yeah t- taking i mean you mentioned feedings they do like a water-based dye and then they do the spirit-based dyes mm. and generally speaking i found the spirit-based dyes so what they call their professional dyes don't rub off as easily yeah but then obviously if you use some resiline or some pva or something on top you're giving that extra level of sealing aren't you which is good i know like the the traditional way to do it is melting beeswax i've never yeah. done i've never done it like you you melt the beeswax into the um the edge with a I forgot what it's called the <clears throat> or you could use like an edge creaser <clears throat> like you can yeah. eat it and then you can but uh yeah that yeah the feebing stuff that's Probably the easier way to do it if you're, especially if you're a beginner. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, it's a good move. So one, one, one more question I had was uh, from somebody who who wrote in there on Instagram was, for bags, is Italian leather too expensive to make money? Well, that's one of the things I'm just <laughs> trying to, I'm trying to work out now to make a bag. Yeah. I was going to use for shedder leather, and it's like, one thing I'm, yeah, it's, it's uh. That's a good question, actually. Um, I think like like if it because you can you can make a Italian leather bag, but if it's machine stitch, it'll be a lot more cheaper than a hand stitch bag. It's just pretty much how much yeah. labour you want to put into the product, I guess. Yeah, I think okay. it depends on the finished bag also and the kind of market that you're wanting to put that bag into, because obviously you're using a nice quality leather so it's going to be a more premium price bag in all probability at the end of it and i think that's good actually because i think people will be happy to pay extra for something that they see as being you know, nice quality provided they do and that's a little bit like coming back to some of our earlier discussion about people yeah. understanding and appreciating <laughs> you know what's what's a nice bit of leather if they're not going to if the market you're trying to serve doesn't appreciate Italian leather, then they probably not use something else. But I always take the view, if you're putting a lot of sort of like effort in and a lot of handwork on something, you might as well use nice materials and then everything's nice about the item you've made. Because otherwise your customer would be better served by going down the high street and picking up, you know, something at a far lower price point. I think also that, and this is a whole different uh, conversation, you know, regarding price point. But so you've made this nice bag out of very nice leather, and then you feel like you feel bad charging a lot for it. 
you, instead you should feel great about charging a yeah. lot for it. And then the person who who might, and that will that will help determine your clientele as well. You know, if if you sell that bag, then for two hundred dollars, which was just barely to cover the cost of the leather you put into it, you know, you're not happy. They're probably not the customer. They may not be happy because that's an expensive bag for them, two hundred dollars. Yeah. Whereas if it's a thousand dollars, you're going to feel great, and the person buying it's going to feel great because they they have an appreciation of what a thousand dollar bag should have in it, or hmm. just as yeah. a rough a number. Yeah. But the, the person shopping for that leather is going to know a little bit more. You can help educate, but you know it just sometimes the price tag helps um, bring an awareness or bring you know somebody might pay attention a little bit more to what actually yeah. had gone into it. I think so. Yeah. I think you can make money at it as long as you are fair to yourself and you, you got to set the price and, and the expectation that this is a really nice bag I'm making and don't sell yourself short or anybody you know don't sell your customer short either. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. No, it's definitely. And I think also, sort of, it's um, being fair to the leather craft community overall, because if you mm-hmm. use not really nice quality leather, and then you end up working all hours and selling a bag well below what it should be going for, you're not actually doing much service to you know, educate people generally and to your fellow leather workers. So I think for those reasons, it's important if you're going to use nice leather, you know, do a nice job on the bag and charge an honest but fair price on it. And that may be, you know, more than people would initially think it would be going for. But, yeah, a bit of education, getting the right marketplace, then why not? Yeah, oh, and then you're motivated, you're happy to sell the next, you know. It, yeah. As long as you feel like it's a good, fair price for you and, and allows you to feed your family, do you know, keep your... Yeah. Do what you need to do with the profits, um, as well as to buy more material for the next one. Um, yeah. and then you're motivated, and the customers probably tickled as can be. They know they've got their money's worth, even if it's more than they expected to pay, or you know, even if it seems expensive, it's they know the quality is there. So yeah, and I think there always will be customers fair for premium, mm-hmm. you know, products. If you make something really nice, then there'll always be a customer because it can be really frustrating, you know, if you have quite a bit of money and you want to buy something, to actually find something of nice quality can be very difficult. Yeah, I mean, I'll just take shoes very quickly as a point. I don't personally wear handmade shoes, but if I was, you know, super wealthy, I would be buying nice handmade shoes because I can appreciate what's gone into them. You know, the workmanship, the materials, the craft... Mm. it's worth the price and there are people out there who will not link obviously at spending several thousand on a pair of shoes there there is a market so I don't think people should be put off by the cost of the material yeah I heard uh, I think your conversation with Martin Caswell was interesting regarding that you know and and how he has really decided to not try to sell to everybody he's found Mm. his market with he makes he spends all he, every piece he makes, he pours every bit of his creativity yeah. and skill into. And the the market is small, but yeah. there's plenty there for him to stay busy. So, yeah, yeah. it's very cool. Yeah, one of one of the things that um, I still remember to this day, and um, when I spoke to Charlie, because I was sort of going through a phase where I was like, you know, you have to wipe the craftsmanship and the business, like the business, the the craftsman and the businessmen 
to sort of you know settle settle on a pro- product sort of thing. And I asked him, you know, how do you struggle? Like, how do you, you know, the businessman wants to say like cost cut, like you know, cut costs, save money, maximize profit. Whereas the craftsman wants to use um, the best, like the quality. And I remember he just said like straight up, I just do. <laughs> The exact offer, like just do the full craftsman, just yeah, just, and like and he, and he was happy with that, and I was like, wow, like you can actually do that, like you don't have to, um, you don't have to try and, you know, where where can I cut costs like here to make a profit? He's just like, no, just I do this, like this is sort of similar with with Martin, like they just if they want to bring something to the market, like they bring their skills and their talent and see what people think. I think that's probably... Well, the thing is, you know, if you go to those individuals, you'll end up with a very nice mm. product in your hands. Mm. So that's worth paying for. Yeah. If, you, if you're in a position to, and I appreciate you're coming down to, yes, you are obviously narrowing your market, but there are an awful lot of people in the world. <laughs> so true. it hasn't, you know, yeah. we were talking about a thousand earlier, a thousand people <laughs> to get something rolling, but you don't need many customers if you're just making you know the, the output of one person if you see what i'm trying to say so mm. if you get a name for doing something nice and you put your heart and soul into it and use nice materials i think there's a market usually unless yeah. your designs just don't work or something else what <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> what barton say is it's hard to build hard to build a reputation but it's easily to lose one a lot yes love when he said mm-hmm. that just... yeah 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 hard fought easily lost <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no thanks for that it's good to have three three brains working together on a... it's great fun yes. <laughs> be good having this chat and get ideas yeah. and bounce things off each other yeah it makes you think and ponder on things yeah yeah no, thank you very joseph, much thanks thanks no, for thanks for... i i had written to joseph after i heard your podcast harry and i oh, right. was, yeah like, wow i just he's, he's one of my favorites and Immediately, Joseph said, "Let's get you both on." <laughs> so no, brilliant! So well that. done for doing it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's great. Yeah, really fun. No, no, but thanks yeah. both of you because uh, I know time zones are crazy, and, and it's good to be able to sit down for an hour or two hours just to have a podcast. Yeah, yeah. Well 